Hello, everyone. Justin Vakuli here with another episode of the Stoic Philosophy Podcast. Today's episode is a discussion about humility with guest Dr. Regan Lance Reitzma. Visit my website at justinvakula.com, where you can find links to my social portals, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and see past content on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. Support me on my new patreon.com page, on which I offer several rewards. Please share, comment, like, and subscribe. I explore the tradition of Stoicism with goals to inform, empower, and help others benefit from the practical wisdom of ancient Greek, Roman, and modern thinkers, including Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and Seneca. Today's guest, Dr. Reitzma, received a philosophy PhD in 2007 from The Ohio State University and obtained a bachelor's degree from the Departments of Philosophy and Classics from Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He serves as assistant professor of philosophy at King's College in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. He specializes in moral psychology, practical rationality and practical normativity, tolerance and moral rights. He also includes philosophy of religion, ethical theory and applied ethics, social and political philosophy, ancient Greek philosophy, Hume and Kant, and sports in his areas of competency. Find his work at kings.edu and academia.edu. See links in the show notes. All right, on to today's conversation. Thank you for joining me for discussion today. Thanks for having me, Justin. I'm I'm glad you're still active uh, after being a student at King's. in the philosophical world and thinking about big ideas. So I appreciate having me. Yeah, thanks a lot. And thanks for your time today in talking. So we'll talk about the topic of humility today. You've written some papers on this topic. How would you define humility? Actually, the, the way that I kind of want to think about my definition of humility uh, is to, to, to see mine in contrast with a couple of other notions of humility. Um, I mean, my kind of quick phrasing for what I think humility is that it's a form of disinterested obedience or a, a kind of willingness to submit to a perceived normative authority. Those sound kind of abstractly philosophical and, and the need uh, to be elaborated. Um, and so, again, it, it kind of, I think, is useful to, to think about a couple of other notions of humility. And then, and then I uh, like mine to kind of pop out in contrast. Uh, uh, and, and, and then maybe you can see some of the advantages of my account in, in the process. And so, you know, there's kind of uh, uh, two accounts that, that um, in my writings, for instance, and in my thinking, I've, I've, uh, I've been mildly critical of. Uh, one is a, a kind of notion of humility as being a sense of lowliness or a sense of one's own weaknesses or failures. Right. Um, and, and, and the representative for that view, that I, uh, Andre Comte de Sponville, a French philosopher, and I'll just call him Sponville from now on. Mm. And then there's a second account um, uh, by a philosopher named Robert Roberts. Uh, he treats uh, humility as a matter of living out uh, a deep recognition of the moral, basic moral equality and worth of each person. Uh, uh, living out a sense that, that you do matter, but you don't matter morally any more or any less than another, any other person. And so um, those are the two accounts I want to contrast mine with. And you, you might notice that the first account, Sponville's account, which he, he especially stresses that humility is a matter of recognizing your own moral weakness, your own lack of virtue, or the, mm. the, the, it, it's a kind of even a, a kind of deeply informed contempt for your own moral character. And he will use language as strong as contempt for your own moral character. Right. Um, uh, his view is, you might call a, a vertical view. Uh, there's the standard, the moral law, say, and when you and I reflect on our, our uh, character in light of the the moral law or, or some kind of idealistic moral standard like the biblical 
principle of uh, love your neighbors yourself. We just come up so terribly short. Uh, our, our character looks pathetic and, and weak uh, in comparison with the, this ideal. And it's a sense of that, that shortcoming uh, um, that, that, that constitutes humility. And again, that's kind of a vertical thing. There's a standard uh, that, uh, above us, as it were, that we fail to live up to. And, and humility is recognizing how and being very dissatisfied with oneself in one's moral failures. Right. And the Robert's account, yeah, Robert's account, you might notice, is, has a kind of horizontal element to it. Um, it's a matter of, of saying, you know, I'm a human being and I matter, I matter morally, but I don't matter any more or less than any other human beings. And so Robert talks about having our feet on the ground. You know, uh, you know, man means uh, a person of the red earth or, or something in that order that we all are, mm. uh, you know, we, we should have our feet on the ground. We should think we're important, but no more or less important than anybody else. We shouldn't be up in the clouds looking down condescendingly, say, on other people or treating people as though they didn't matter as much as us. And he thinks we have a tendency to to mistreat people that way or to uh, get get kind of in, entangled in and, and, and psychologically in this kind of sense of measuring with how we're doing compared to everyone else and then, right. and then feeling, you know, a negative moral, moral emotions about other people, you know, haughtiness or condescension towards people we think are lower than us or, or, or feeling weak uh, and pathetic and worthless in comparison to people we think are better than us. And so uh, he, he wants to treat, again, uh, humility as, as a, on a horizontal plane. You, you, you recognize your own uh, moral uh, worth, but you, you don't you don't overstate or understate that worth um, in comparison to other people. So he has a horizontal picture, and uh, I want to I want to construe a, a third picture that's also a, as vertical in, in character, but it's not Sponville's view, and it's not grounded in the kind of sense of of our um, lowliness or weakness or, or or some sense of our failing. Uh, part of the grounds that I think people can be successful and humble. They can recognize their own successes and be humble. And so, so anyhow, that, that's the kind of the architecture for, sort of for how to think about my definition of humility is I want to, like Swanville, have a, a vertical account. Uh, and I think that historically, um, it's been hard for people to shake the sense that, that humility does have a vertical character, that there's some, humility has something to do with, with recognizing something above yourself. Um, but again, I don't want Spawnville's account, and I, I have, uh, though I, I admire much of what Roberts has to say and find it very insightful, I want to, I want to, you know, raise some criticisms for his view too. So that's some architecture anyhow, but right. that can be fleshed out. Right. So having some positive so, views of it, not of this um, corresponding sadness, as he talks right. about following a, a moral failing right. or something we recognize about ourselves, right? That's right. Yeah, so Fonville also talks about following Spinoza, partly. Spinoza has the idea that, that humility is a, a kind of recognize a, a recognition of one's own weakness, but in particular, a recognition that there's so much in the world that you and I have zero power over, zero control over. Right, right. And so we're this kind of small creature in this vast universe, and there, there's very little uh, we control, you know, just our own character and decisions. Uh, he's got a, kind of a stoic a theme in Spinoza. And so that, that sense of one's own powerlessness and impotence in the vastness of the, of the world, that's what he identifies as humility. And, there, and, and Spinoza says there's a truthful sadness. We really are recognizing something true when we see our impotence, but it, and it, it, it makes us sad, right? I mean, we, 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 we would like, we desire greater control than we, we have. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, Spondo picks up on that and, and moralizes it, you know, that, uh, in comparison also to the moral law we come up so short and, and, and feel kind of truthful, you know, honest sadness about our own character. Right. So, 
and with the with the Stoics, it's there's humility in that and realizing that yes, well, the world is much bigger right. than us. We don't have all the answers, and yes, there are a lot of things right. outside of our control. So, what attitude can we have in response to that? It's perhaps an attitude right. of acceptance, gratitude, and yes, humility, as we're talking about. We have a, a quote from Seneca here. Seneca writes, "There is no reason why you should put confidence in yourself too quickly and readily. Examine yourself, right. scrutinize yourself." observe yourself in divers ways, but mark before all else, whether it is in philosophy or merely in life itself, that you have made progress. Right. Uh, well, that doesn't sound exactly like Spawnville. It does have a kind of um, a recognition of one's own lowliness or impotence in it, right? Uh, when you and I are, are, are think we really understand the world, we should step back and ask, do we really understand it? Are we really as smart, thoughtful, accomplished as we think we are? Right? There's a, a kind of it's natural to call that humility, and it does kind of fit in the in the, the vertical conception of humility that treats humility as a, a sense of one's own lowliness in some sense. So mm -hmm. Maybe we can look back right. in life to perspectives that we've changed, new ideas that we've learned, different experiences right. that we've had, and maybe we can mm -hmm. recognize that, well, maybe a few years from now, our perspectives will change so we can be diligent, we can right. be observant, and have that attitude of, yes, I'm willing to take in new information, adjust my ideas, hang a question mark at the end of things, right? That's the intellectual side right. of it. Right, yeah. So it is. I think it's useful at some point for us to, to talk a little bit, too, um, about intellectual humility and maybe even how it's going to end up sitting and, and my thoughts about humility more generally. But uh, intellectual humility seems like a very important trait. Um, and we might wonder, you know, how does Spawnville's account or how does Robert's account handle uh, or relate intellectual humility on the one hand and maybe moral humility on the other. And so I want to suggest that, that my account's going to kind of treat intellectual humility as, as very similar in structure to, to moral humility. And I'm, I think that's an advantage. Um, now, one more like little piece of kind of architecture here for our conversation, you know, kind of a, I, I don't really have the view that there's like one notion of humility and if there's three competing concepts, one can be right and the other two are false or, or you know, so it's just a competition right. here. Um, uh, I think that Spawnville's account has, uh, and Spinoza's and, and a number of accounts have some real merit and, and, and insight. And I, I certainly think, as I mentioned a moment ago, that Robert's uh, account has a lot of uh, uh, insight as well. Uh, it, one place you can find Robert's account, by the way, is in an article called Humility is a Moral Project, I think it's called. And um, anyhow, there's a lot of psychological insight. But one question that kind of we have to ask is, what would we like our notion of humility to do? Like, what kind of work do we want our concept or account of humility to do? And I see myself as, as wanting to construct a notion of humility that kind of fits with a, a long-standing tradition of thinking about humility that goes back into Jewish and Christian sources, in the very least, and conceivably, I think, in the Stoic sources, um, humility was for a time thought to be not only a moral virtue and a personal strength, and, and, a, and a virtue that's consistent with other virtues that we might develop, like patience and tolerance and, right. and generosity, um, but that it's also an especially important virtue, maybe even a cardinal virtue. Um, and the word cardinal, uh, uh, the phrase cardinal virtue generally means a, a virtue upon which other virtues hinge. You know, it'd be very difficult to generate a number of other virtues without some particular cardinal virtue. And so I want to suggest that uh, my account of humility can, can construe humility in a way that it does appear to be a cardinal virtue. And then if, if, if the, the Christian tradition wants, at least some elements of the Christian tradition wants to say that, that humility is maybe even a primordial virtue. You know, if, if 
pride is the primordial vice, you know, the pride is the, the source of the, you know, the fall, as it were. Presumably, the, the, you know, at least sometimes humility has been seen as its antidote, the opposing uh, virtue that corresponds with the vice of pride. You know, for all the virtues of Spawnville's account, of Robert's account, the kind of, of, of humility that I want to generate actually does make sense of calling it not just a virtue, not just a personal strength, a virtue consistent with other virtues, but also that it has the advantage of, um, of, of painting uh, humility as a, as a cardinal virtue with an especial kind of deep significance. And so anyhow, that, it's not so much that I'm trying to win over, you know, beat uh, Spawnville or beat uh, uh, Roberts in some, you know, duel for the, the single best Right. Uh, theory of, uh, of uh, humility, but uh, in this case, uh, I think my account has a couple of advantages, uh, that it, it does some work that I'm not sure that their accounts are going to do. What might some benefits be of your approach? So so one of the advantages I think that my account has, again, I haven't really said very much about it yet, <laughs> uh, one of the advantages is that my account, I think, doesn't lead to some of the, the paradoxes uh, that, that Spawnville's account uh, leads to. So Spavil doesn't hide this. In fact, he he kind of wonders a couple of times whether whether there's something paradoxical about humility. Um, so so one question he asks at one point, and I don't think he's the first person to raise this kind of question, but would it be possible for there to be a person who knows he's humble and remains humble, <laughs> right? <laughs> who recognizes his own humility and stays humble even as he does. Right. You know, and so it feels like, oh, you know, if, if if humility is a matter of recognizing your own faults, and now you recognize your own humility, and humility is a strength, <laughs> uh, how does that fit together, right? There seems like some kind of paradox there. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to first point out that that's, that's going to be a problem only for an account of humility that treats humility as recognizing your weaknesses. Right, right? how we're going to define if it. You think, right, right. If you think being humble is a matter of, recognizing your weakness and and now you're what you're doing is recognizing seemingly a strength your character your character trait of humility ah paradox um I, i'm going to suggest that that problem goes away if we if we move to a notion of humility that doesn't treat humility as a you know profound you know strong sense of of how how lowly your moral character is so right. you know, part of the problem is spontaneous is so censorious so condemning of our character and his own <laughs> uh, that it really gets him into trouble you, you know being humble is a matter of feeling profound dissatisfaction with yourself oh but if you feel this profound dissatisfaction with yourself, can you notice that you have this good character trait of noticing you know noticing how how poor your character so there's again this, there's this kind of paradox that arises and, and there's a second paradox that arises for for spawnville too um he presumably thinks that that we can improve in the moral life that we can get better at least modestly better. In fact, he wrote a whole book called The Small Treatise on the Great Virtues. Uh, right. And the point of the book is to help us kind of pull ourselves up a little bit by little to being better people, more generous, more just, more patient, more tolerant, more humble, presumably. He has a whole chapter on humility. And so he thinks that we can get better. But if humility is a matter of recognizing profoundly how, how poor your character is, it looks like any of us who get any better handsome virtue become a little bit more honest, a little bit more just, would have to become correspondingly less humble, right? Right, right. Um, You'd be more confident. Or, or, or we'd have to, you know, lie to ourselves about our improvement uh, to stay humble, you know, think we're not improving even as we are. And again, that, those are kind of strange elements of his theory, right? Just They flow out of the thought that humility is a sense of a profound sense, in his case, of our our lowly character. 
Um, well, I, again, I think that we can improve if modestly in terms of our character. When we do, I don't think it's wrong to notice that. And, and I don't think when we uh, become better and notice it that we've necessarily lost humility. You know, mm-hmm. you know our, our humility starts to die. So uh, I, I think my account's going to escape some of, of his um, kind of paradoxical character. And so though I want to keep the idea that being humble has something to do with recognizing something above yourself, it's not fairly anyhow a law that you've failed to live up to or a moral ideal you've failed to live up right. to. Um, so again, one of my advantages of my account is it doesn't going to lead to these kind of problems. And if you search the philosophical literature, there's kind of a cottage industry of discussions of the paradox of humility or the incoherence of humility. Um, um, but, you know, another problem for Sponville, it turns out, is that he's just so condemning, you know, it, it it makes us sound like dirt, and there's questions about whether he over-traumatizes our moral weaknesses. These things that might be above ourself, perhaps it's our community, perhaps it's our ideals, as you <laughs> said, sort of moral, moral right. law, certain standards that we might have, maybe affiliation right. to a certain group. And we, we can be humble in this and recognizing, <clears throat> well, there, there are different competing interests in the world. We're just part of that. It's not just us. Right, and you're coming pretty close to actually to what I want to say about humility is that uh, I want to claim that uh, at least, again, a really important form of humility is a matter of noticing that there are these standards or demands or normative authorities or ideals that we really ought to live up to. It's kind of our task to, to live up to them. You know, you can see the vertical character in that, right? There's this kind of sense that, well, again, whether it happens to be a particular moral ideal or it's, you know, society's expectations, or it's a notion of justice, or the rights of other people, or a set of intellectual demands, like the, the demands that are placed on, on scientists in the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, in my view, humility is, is crucially, centrally, a matter of recognizing the authoritative status of that ideal or, or, or norm or demand, and then submitting to it, uh, being willing to live up to those demands. And so, you know, for instance, to give an example, uh, you could imagine some very well-regarded scientist uh, who who has an excellent public reputation and a long uh, history of having published work in in good places. And it turns out that one of his grad students, uh, she recognizes a stake in, in some of his published work. And let's say that the way he reacts to that is he says, she's right, I blew it. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I made a mistake here, right? Uh, and in that case, one of the, you know, excellent things about that particular scientist's behavior here is at some possible cost to his public reputation, um, he's willing to sort of say, hey, you know, the expectations of scientific discipline, their expectations on me too. And if I've been found to make a mistake, just like any other scientist, I should, you know, own up to that, fess up to it, correct it, acknowledge it. And, and so again, there's a kind of, that's kind of natural in my mind to call that an act of, you know, uh, of humility. And it also has a vertical character, a kind of sense that, you know, I owe it to these standards, live up to them, uh, not to hide my mistake, to save my reputation, not to right. uh, arrogantly assume that they don't apply to me in the same way they apply to graduate students, uh, what have you. So, you know, that starts to get at my, my notion of humility as being a uh, disinterested obedience, you know, in this case, obedience to the, the, the scientific strictures, and disinterested in the sense that scientist isn't treating his own reputation or welfare standing as giving over much prejudice to it. Um, right. he, he, he sometimes has to take a hit. <laughs> Not that you always have to take a hit to be humble, but sometimes you're gonna, it's about you know, living up to the standards, uh, even if that's going to cost us a bit. And so it shows a kind of act of will, a willingness to, to submit 
Right, a sort of sacrifice mm-hmm. and being willing to actually make that mm-hmm. rather than just brushing something off or, oh, this doesn't apply to me or, oh, it's not such a big deal, maybe trying to minimize it right. in a way, right? And so in my view, like um, um, contrary to Sponville's view, for instance, in my view, you, you can think it's my job to live up to the standard and I have, right? Uh, you know, let's say that there are, you know, expectations that you not perjure yourself in court, that you be honest on that and you do. In, in my view, it, it, that's consistent with describing your behavior as humble. You, if you, you know, sort of disinterestedly, like, like not taking your own interests too strongly into account, treat those standards of honesty as as, as binding upon you, and, and you do tell the truth. You've been humble in the rights my sense, right? Right, but right. Not a, you know, it, the Sponville sense doesn't apply here. You haven't failed to live up to the relevant standard, right? So. You know, you can go back to the Seneca quotation you gave a moment ago, too, and you can see the same kind of mixture of Sponville and Reitzma attitudes, I think, in <laughs> Seneca's quote. Uh, you know, he has a kind of sense that, hey, it's my job to, to live up to the, the demands of understanding the world around me and all the requirements of evidence gathering and careful weighing and imagining different possibilities, some of which seem more true and some of which seem less true to me. And then saying, well, how am I doing? <laughs> right. right? Uh, so there's the kind of rightsmith sense of humility. And it's my job to, to actually be honest here and uh, honest with myself and honest with people around me, honest about my intellectual capacities and so on. And it's my job to live up to these standards. And then he also says, oh, and by the way, we all oftentimes fall pretty darn short and shouldn't be too terribly impressed with ourselves. And right. that, that's a little voice of Spawnville popping out there, right? There's themes throughout the Stoic texts of focusing on one's character as this is one of the most important things, if not the important things, that we're not going to sell out and compromise our values Mm -hmm. for maybe gains of wealth, of political power, of pleasing others, that this is that's it's going to be more important that if we compromise our character, then that's going to be really the the end of us is one way to translate the insight you just articulated and kind of my terminology is to say that there's a a profound uh, humility in the uh, com- you know, commitment of moral integrity in the Stoic outlook, right? I shouldn't worry too much about this, that, or the other thing. I should do what the, what's right because it's right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, uh, that's an expression of rightsness style humility, where I mean by that, by, you know, not that I am that humble, but that I, that's <laughs> the kind of count I'm giving, so... And maybe people will think, oh, well, if it's if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, and that maybe, well, they won't have much consideration for their actions if they mm-hmm. don't see it. Maybe they'll part- partake in some sort of system. Oh, well, everybody else is doing it, so I might as well do it too. It's right. no big deal. Or they'll ignore certain things in their communities. Oh, it's not in my backyard. But then when it comes to them, right. then maybe they'll complain then. Right. Yeah, the Stoics, and I guess you could say, I mean, I, I haven't thought about it, putting it this way, is that uh, they, they, they hold a philosophy anyhow that you should be your own most significant critic, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or your own most significant uh, evaluator. You know, so you shouldn't, you know, it's the fall of Socrates kind of line. So you shouldn't be thinking most about what your enemies or your friends or, or your, your fellow citizens think. You should do what, what's really uh, you think right. Um, uh, uh, you know, and there's that kind of commitment to integrity there. And it's one that's not grounded in a kind of overmuch concern about reputation, for instance. And so even as everybody thinks Socrates is doing silly things, uh, he thinks it's the right thing, he does it. Uh, uh, even if Crito is, is pestering him, saying, you really, nobody expects you to do anything other than escape from the cell, <laughs> uh, Socrates might say, well, you're right, but I just don't think it's the right or best thing for me to do. So, you know, again, there's a, 
a kind of, um, certainly those kind of characters, that reading of Socrates, the, a centerpiece of Stoic thinking, are going to treat humility of the variety I'm talking about as very important, right? Uh, uh, recognizing the Stoic view by reason, recognizing valid standards, and then, uh, and then submitting. Yeah, so one thing is, you know, we might think historically for a little bit, we've talked about the, the, the Stoics. Um, we might think a little bit historically about uh, the notions of humility as well. Um, you know, it, it, why in the, you know, say, uh, Jewish and Christian, or maybe even especially some level of Christian tradition, has humility been such an important, uh, regarded such an important character trait? Uh, why has the notion of humility kind of lost some of its, you know, there's kind of a nervousness, I think, in the contemporary scene about about uh, uh, humility, and I think some of your questions you sent me, you know, mention this. Can you be proud and humble at the same time? You know, right, some people right. worry, isn't isn't self-esteem and pride aren't those good things? And and so, okay, I should be humble, but is it really so healthy for me to be too humble? You know, those are kind of nervous thoughts that I think ordinary everyday people have, and 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 you know, I'd like to have something, some advice about about that. And already there's some considerable, uh, maybe we might say philosophical or moral nervousness about humility that pops up when you get to uh, uh, Hume and then and Kant. And it's kind of an interesting question to, to think about why that might be. You know, uh, why might have been the case that uh, humility had, had, you know, to be a little bit overstating, historically seen as such a central, important, fundamental, maybe cardinal or even primordial virtue in the Christian tradition. Why did there was, why did a nervousness about that idea arise? And, you know, uh, one, one kind of account you might give is that, that Kant, though his actual views about humility are, are fairly complex, is, is one of those people who gets a bit nervous about humility. And so, you know, he's, he's writing at a time where there's this enhanced sense of the, not only the importance of the individual, the moral importance of the individual, although that has deep roots in Stoicism, but also in Christianity, uh, but also the, the deep importance of, of autonomy of self-governance. And so, you know, Kant will stress this, is that you need to make certain that you don't bow to any external heteronymous authority, right? Uh, you may well choose to follow, say, the dictates of, of God, but it had better be the case that you legislate the maxim, you know, obey the dictates of God for yourself, otherwise you'll be guilty of heteronomy, being governed by another, an external other, rather than by self-autonomy. Uh, you might be, you might choose to to live up to the standards of your, say, community or, or family or 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 listen to the demand of a general or something like that. But you need to legislate for yourself the maxim behind that command. Right. And so uh, he's very concerned about about uh, uh, governance. And you can see how that might start to to raise concerns about humility, uh, especially if humility is some kind of willing submission or disinterested obedience. That will raise the question for Kant, obedience to what? <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we don't want a blind, a blind obedience or right, o- obedience right. to an unjust thing and participating in unjust Certainly. actions because others simply right. say so, right? Right. And Kant himself does have, you know, does treat something as authoritative, for instance, reason, right? Uh, and so uh, the moral law has authority over you and I. It, it, we ought to grow, respect the moral law have a kind of reverence for it, uh, obey it, but not because it it just, you know, sits in the sky or something like that, uh, but because it's grounded in, in reason and we're, we are by nature rational creatures. And so it has a kind of mooring in reason and, and we owe our allegiance to reason. And so even in Kant, there is a kind of 
you know, willingness to submit to the something that, that is has authority, reason, although he wants to tie that to our essential nature and, and the moral law as well. And so, so, but, you know, it's kind of a nervousness arises in Kant that then in Kantians continued, you know, that, and even when Kant talks about, uh, uh, using the Latin term, uh, uh, moral humility, he doesn't treat that as a virtue. Um, uh, a recognition, he treats it as a recognition of your shortcomings of your character compared in comparison with the moral law. And Sponville picks up on this, by the way. I mean, he kind of quotes Kant approvingly about this. And, and so Kant wants to say that, that that sense of one's own lowliness is a, a crucial step on the way to feeling the adequate respect for the moral law and then standing up like a real human being, stiff of spine, not groveling, and living accordingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he has kind of stoic elements to his thinking here as well. It's very right. steeply St. Paul-style thoughts. Uh, and uh, anyhow, he ends up, uh, uh, but when he talks about moral humility, he treats it as a kind of stepping stone to to, to moral goodness, rather uh, right, moral righteousness, rather than a, a virtuous trait itself, because it has this kind of "I don't live up, I don't measure up" character to it, uh, a kind of sponder like you. And then Kant played a role, but there are other factors that play roles too that that started to, to raise questions about: is 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 humility a trait that's too groveling, too uh, being filled with a sense of your own lowliness or weakness? Uh, how much do we like that? Maybe we were kind of troubled by it, so. Though it might have some advantages, is it really an important or a crucial character trait or moral virtue? Is it even purely good character trait or is it a kind of a mixed character trait that's not really a full virtue? It, it took some hits, um, you know, humility. And, and again, you can even look at the contemporary literature. In about the last 15 years, there's been a lot of writing about humility kind of finally popping up again after a dead period. And, uh, and it, it raises these kinds of worries. So. Right. So maybe um, some moderation and, oh, well, I'm not clueless. There's no guide, but there there is some standard out there, maybe somewhere in between that. Right. And then to agree that, you know, uh, some modern philosophical thinking wants to say that, hey, everything's up in the air. Um, there are no standards that you have to follow just because uh, right, you right. should construct your own standards. You should follow your own desires. You should make, you, you, Hume's line is that, you know, reason is and only ought to be the slave of the passions they're the ultimate ruling authority over how you ought to live or you know some versions that not Kant himself of Kantianism that that suggests that you ought to construct all your own values you really determine uh, what's binding and valid for you these kind of things are going to be ideas that can start to seem inimical to my notion of humility right that mm-hmm. if humility is a matter of recognizing the authority of certain standards or treating as authoritative standards that you regard as as binding upon you and then submitting accordingly or behaving you know, as though they are authoritative if there are no authorities <laughs> everything's up to you if you're constructing all your own norms and, and ultimate authorities well then um then uh, there is no humility or no sensible good humility in, in the sense that i'm suggesting so that could be dangerous path as well if there's Mm -hmm. this idea well what what if the standards that you pick out are you know well i'm going to harm people for the fun of it there's there's nothing to stop me from doing that you know kind of the extreme Mm -hmm. or big gun objection here right or the whole system is corrupt (laughs) so i'm just going to take it all down and everybody's going to suffer along with me people Mm -hmm. might take that kind of response as well yeah so we could we could talk a little bit about some of those kind of practical implications here you know i I was trying to think a little bit about where where do we see the style? Where in what places do we see in our contemporary scene uh, 
online, for instance, or <laughs> even in, uh, in, our, in, our, in the media or, right, right. you know, in, in everyday conversations, where do we see um, a lack of the kind of humility that, that I'm, 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 I'm trying to gesture at? Um, and one thing you can, you know, think about uh, how, how, how frustrated scientists, you know, these days, understandably, I think, get um, when they're in conversations, whether it's about climate change or it's about other uh, empirical questions, you know, that they've studied very carefully, that they've uh, made certain that they've read up on and, and, and analyzed, only to have somebody wander along and say, yeah, but I have my own view about this. You know, an unwillingness to treat people who are experts as experts and then say, my views are as valid as yours. Right, you know, right. I see all kinds of, uh, you know, I can, I, can, I can toss onto a blog or onto the web or into a conversation any of my old thoughts, and they're as valid as anyone else's, even the, the thoughts of experts, uh, is, is a kind of failure to live up to some important intellectual norms, for instance, of needing to have evidence for your views, uh, right, right. at least these kinds of views, uh, as, as, as needing to know what you talk about before you toss your opinion out as, as, as important as anyone else's in the conversation. And so there's a kind of arrogance in, the, in that kind of sloppy uh, rejection of true uh, intellectual authority, right? Um, um, where I, by scientists of being intellectual authority, they don't mean that they can't be wrong or whatever this is goes, but that they have a kind of special weight in these conversations, and they're not granted that oftentimes. And, and right. uh, you know, I can understand their frustration. Um, James already raises this in The Will to Believe, <laughs> uh, where he talks about besotted little sentimentalists uh, casually dismissing uh, um, the hard work of scientists to, to believe whatever it is they feel like they want to believe um, uh, because it comforts them. Say. So anyhow, I mean, the, you know, we can see some of our current contemporary frustrations in the light of a, a lack of humility, you know, a lack of uh, willingness to submit to intellectual, uh, you know, legitimate le- intellectual expectations. Right? right. Where we have with the Internet oh. troves and troves of information, access to experts on topics who have more informed opinions. Right. We, we also get, as you said, people just putting anything forth and, oh, well, flat earth ideas are coming up and oh, don't vaccinate your kids because that's going to give them autism. Mm-hmm. Right. Some of these more popular views that are coming nowadays. And if those people have not, you know, put themselves to the same rigors in the formation of their judgments and opinions. Um, there might be other objections to make to that, but I also see in that a, a lack of the relevant kind of humility, a, a lack of a willingness to obey the relevant standards, as it were. So, right. So a recognition yeah, yeah. that, well, there are systems, there are experts out there who investigate these ideas. And like you said, yes, maybe they could be wrong. Maybe some of the information might be off. But how are we going to investigate these ideas? Should we defer right. to these experts and what standards do they have? Right. So maybe a recognition of your idea of humility there, recognizing that, yes, there is a system of standards. Yes, there are people who have more education than I do who are more qualified to speak on these topics. Yeah, and we can we can see another kind of broad cultural uh, reason for for kind of nervousness about humility too. If this is the right analysis of our contemporary time, um, it might be a, also a correct analysis of other times, such as the uh, Athens in which Socrates lived and any number of other ones. But uh, if, for instance, there's kind of prevailing nervousness about uh, to what we owe commitment, to what we owe allegiance, to what standards or, you know, purported authorities we ought to really be willing to submit. Uh, well, if if you can't figure out what it is you have your allegiance to, you're going to have a hard time 
behaving uh, uh, humbly in light of, uh, you know, so if you if there's seven different things and you're not sure which of them to, to com- commit to, you know, seven different ideals, say, and you don't know which one to commit to, it's very hard to exemplify humility, you know, disinterestedly obey, disinterestedly submit uh, yeah. uh, to ideals that you haven't really, when you don't have any that you've kind of with some stability committed yourself to. And again, you know, it's kind of a going analysis of our times that there's a kind of crisis of authority, a kind of crisis of, uh, you know, what to what should we really commit ourselves to, to how, how should we live our lives? And again, I agree there's a kind of anxiety culturally or in particular individuals about that. There's going to be, you know, it's going to, it's going to undermine uh, the ability to kind of exemplify humility. But I mean, again, those are some ways in which, you know, humility kind of, you know, bumps into modern life. Either we don't know how, you know, what standards to live to, and so how do you exemplify humility of the variety, or, or, uh, or you know, we get frustrated with folks who don't submit themselves to any, say, intellectual norms, of the obviously relevant ones, and and here we are. And so, right. so anyhow, those are some manifestations of, you know, how I would analyze in contemporary trends in light of my picture of humility. But, mm-hmm. And it's, it's in Seneca's letters. He has a letter titled On the Degeneracy of the Age, in which he talks about how vices are throughout time, that it's not just something of today, but it's of all times. He, he writes, you are mistaken, my dear Lucilius, if you think that luxury and neglect of good manners and other vices of which each man accuses the age in which he lives are especially characteristic of his own. No, they are the vices of mankind and not of the times. No era in history has ever been free. Yeah, and I hope I, my hope my comments didn't look like I think we're you know uh, uh, we're just in a, you know everything's going to hell in a handbasket right now and everything's oh, no, bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. And, and probably there's some truth to the certain kinds of vices probably crop up in most any age in any corner of the world. There's probably are you know probably as 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 societies and 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 cultures undergo changes they probably add new vices and are prone to new I mean you know add new virtues and are prone to new vices. Uh, but again, I was trying to kind of link my notions of humility to a kind of several contemporary worries, you know. There, there could be a sense of disillusionment today, maybe with politics and that uh, one had right. placed their allegiance with a certain political figure or party. And then they found, oh, well, hey, there are actually problems with this. And I don't I don't know where to stand. Look, there are all these extremists uh-huh. out there. There are these views that I disagree with. Maybe things didn't go the way I had planned. So maybe people will just go on their own there or just question their status yeah. or what their allegiance is toward. Maybe certain heroes or role models they have had that they've fallen out of grace for whatever reason. Maybe that could be a right. more modern thing or even a perennial concern as well. Right. Yeah, I get asked with some frequency when I talk to people about humility. Uh, don't you think we lack, you know, don't you think we have less humility today than we used to? And I don't, I don't really know whether we, we do or not uh, in, in the kind of broad judgment, but I think oftentimes what people are responding to when they, uh, you know, make that remark or ask me that question is things like I'm pointing to, like, you know, everybody, you know, so many people express an extra frustration with political conversation, you know, and kind of increasing frustration with it, uh, for instance. And I'm, I'm wondering if, again, that some of that is generated by uh, this sense that, uh, you know, uh, this kind of distrust of, of authority, distrust of institutions, uh, mm. that, that degree from Brown doesn't matter, you know, and, and, and chemistry doesn't matter anything any more than <laughs> online degree in chemistry, what have you, right? So, you know, these kind of things play a role in there, right? You feel like, you know, um, I get frustrated, and part of my uh, way of articulating it is, 
I think certain people have submitted them to themselves to educations and standards and 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 great durations of thinking that others haven't. And so that conversation, the person who has more expertise, more more background, that, that person's judgment should weigh more. Uh, and it's 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 arrogant of, of the of the person who hasn't to, to suppose his view is as important. Again, so again, I'm trying to make those kind of links at at the, at the moment. Right. Okay, so to go back to an earlier moment in the conversation, you talked mm-hmm. about combining the virtues of pride and humility. Can you talk about that? You know, here, here we do need kind of a, a, a set of different notions of pride and a set of different notions of humility, I think. And I think we can isolate a, a notion of, of humility, as I've been suggesting, that's a, a, you know, it's a moral virtue, a kind of a willingness to submit to a valid, what you take to be a valid moral standard. I think that's a virtue. Uh, I think it's even, a, a, as I've been suggesting, a cardinal virtue. How can you be just, temperate, respect the rights of others, be sensibly uh, generous, um, uh, uh, fair-minded, unless you're willing to submit to various moral standards of you know, justice and rights and so mm-hmm. on? And so you can see how the form of humility I'm talking about is a cardinal virtue. You, you'll, you'll struggle to have other virtues, you know, uh, patience, say, unless you're willing to submit to certain moral standards. Um, and so... And I, I want to suggest the notion of humility I have here does actually uh, is the antidote for, for a form of pride that is morally pernicious. Now, I don't know that there's anybody who lives out full-bodied all the way through his or her life this form of pride. So it's not that I have a person in mind who exemplifies this notion of pride. But let's say you had a person who, who says, I'm God in the following sense. I get to decide everything, right? <laughs> I get to decide what matters and what doesn't. I get to decide... Uh, what intellectual norms uh, are valid for me, uh, what aren't. I get to decide what moral standards are valid or not. Nothing whatsoever. I will submit to nothing. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, this is why in some of my writing I said, if you want to talk theologically about humility, like Sponville does, for instance, and to some degree Robert says, I'm happy to do it. The notion of pride here, the, the kind of unwillingness to treat anything as as, a, as an authority over you, you can kind of, you can try to go back to the you know, story of the fall or to a kind of, uh, you know, theological reflection on the fall of Satan that folks like Anselm engage in. And, and they want to suggest that there's a kind of primordial uh, pride and unwillingness to submit to and what's taken to be a valid authority, God's will, that whose antidote would presumably be the kind of humility I'm talking about, a sense that there are things that are above me, that stand above me, that it's my job to discern and then, you know, listen to, submit to, obey, if, mm-hmm. if you will. Anyhow, um, I, I am troubled by, I would be troubled by a person who says, it doesn't matter what intellectual norms other people think are valid, uh, they're not valid for me. I, I don't care what kind of moral norms other people regard as valid. You might suppose that people deserve to be treated with respect and, and have their rights respected or, uh, or that their lives have a certain value. No, um, right. uh, I'll legislate everything and anything, and it's uh, it's entirely up to me. I, I don't walk around talking about Satanism very much, <laughs> but that you, you know, it's sometimes been the picture of uh, prideful unwillingness to submit to anything. And anyhow, uh, you can see how my form of humility would be the antidote, the kind of flip side, the corresponding virtue to that vice. Right. And and uh, and so, you know, there's a form of pride, and I think you see you can see that. An element, episodes of that kind of pride, I see it in myself sometimes, right? 
I just don't want to submit to the standard. I want to do what's in my interest, what's going to enhance my reputation, what's going to do well for me, but maybe not the other person. I can see little movements of will in myself, that kind of pride, and I'm troubled by it in me when I see it, and I suspect it's other people find it in themselves. So, so there is a kind of notion of pride that, that uh, I won't defend, whereas there are also, of course, notions of, of pride, like Roberts, to go back to him, that I would. You know, do I have a strong sense that uh, I matter morally and that I matter as much as Justin Bakula? And, and on the flip side, Justin Bakula's life matters morally as much as mine. Absolutely. And so, you know, uh, for instance, the kind of respect grounded in your own and my own moral uh, value, I have no trouble with, right? That, if that's, I'm going to call that pride, no problem. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to call pride um, a basketball player's sense that, you know, he, he really does have he, he, a skillful basketball sense that he has, you know, grace and athleticism. If it's well-grounded uh, esteem and his, his real skill, I have no trouble with that. So there are forms of pride I have no problem with, and you can certainly have those that kind of pride and be humble in my sense. So again, there are, there are plenty of notions of pride that, that fit with my notion of humility. You can, you can submit yourself to the standards of, of, uh, athletic, of athletic ideals, you know, practicing hard and working on your skills and noticing weaknesses in your games and getting right. in the gym to work on those and then, and then notice that you have. And if you feel a pride in that, um, there's no inconsistency between that pride and, and, and the claim that you've, humbly submitted yourself to whatever other standards right and and with performance or skill there's going to be some sort of Mm -hmm. outside standard because the athlete the performer could always say oh well Mm -hmm. it's just my bad luck or they'll blame some external factor as well the reason i didn't play well today is because it was maybe too windy or because oh they didn't they didn't give me a chance to be in the game or oh it was something that happened in the morning but Uh there are a lot of factors that go with that and if they're just going to blame everyone else and not take accountability well the there's humility of oh well actually there are these external standards there are people more skillful than me here are things i can do to improve right yeah i mean that's what really kind of nice things about one of the seneca quotations there's a in Seneca, an unwillingness to, to um, bullshit himself, unwillingness to rationalize, right? Unwillingness to, to blame everything else but self, right? Oh, well, you know, I, uh, you know, the, there was just too much wind today, so I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't play ball the way I normally do, or, mm-hmm. you know, my teammates just didn't give me the ball enough or whatever. You know, those things occasionally can be true, but those have the air of rationalizations, right? And, and there's kind of unwillingness to see yourself coldly, you know, with according to more sensible, more fair-minded standards. I mean, and so Seneca says, well, look at yourself. Have you, you claim to have spent so much time pursuing wisdom, but haven't you just tossed a few hours at it? You know, there's kind of, you know, have you really done all, all you know, lived up to the real standards at play here? Uh, again, I, there's a, a kind of, you know, uh, to be humble in this sense is, is among other things to be unwilling to, to, you know, to be unwilling to be too often rationalizing and BSing yourself in that way. No, I, right. I didn't live up. I didn't do what was necessary. And right. again, there's, there's, you know, kind of a humility in, in Seneca's or, or in that thought. Yeah, he, he writes here, none of us goes deep below the surface. We skim the top only, and we regard the smattering of time spent in the search for wisdom as enough to spare for a busy man. What hinders us most of all is that we are too readily satisfied with ourselves. Right. Bonville talks this way about us, our moral lives. And, and I don't really fully disagree with this. You know, I, I have kind of a, a St. Paul, uh, Pascal, uh, a Kantian strain in me that does the same thing is that 
you know, someone wants to say, so how often is the, you know, when we think that we're patient or generous or tolerance, how often are we really? Let's take a cold, hard look at the real standards of tolerance or patience, and I don't think we do so well. And Hansi starts talking about profound moral dissatisfaction with self. Uh, again, he tends to turn that into talk about informed contempt for self. I'm uncomfortable with the word contempt there, but mm-hmm. but he, he, he feels, you know, we really stare at, he, he's a, an atheist, Bonville is in his metaphysics, but right. he, he's got a very New Testament style uh, moral outlook. And he says that if loving your neighbor as yourself is really the true moral standard, uh, so we ought to be you know, uh, unswervingly just and even more merciful and, and charitable than, than just, uh, when we really look at ourselves, we're not going to do all that well. <laughs> I don't actually disagree with that judgment. I mean, I, I, I think we probably do fall far short of ideal standards of justice and charity, um, um, even very thoughtful and sensible standards of, uh, we don't have to exaggerate the idealism. And we still, I think, will fall quite short. I just don't treat um, that as the, you know, there's a kind of humility that that misses, uh, the kind that I'm trying to point to. So, so, so he, he turns that kind of strong self-dissatisfaction into his notion of humility, his central notion of humility. Right. So with, you, with your take on it, it's the recognition of some sort of outside standards, systems, guidance. But on his, you, you can say, oh, well, you haven't done this. Oh, look, you've overlooked this. Or, oh, there's this injustice going on in the world. And, oh, you could do more. You could do more as this person can always right. be pointing the finger although at some point there might be a cap for those demands and what can you reasonably expect yeah. from someone. But I suppose your take avoids yeah. those sort of objections in that, oh, well, maybe we don't have these moral failings all the time or it's not such a tremendous cloud. Over- but the thought I have about this is uh, it gets a little away from the talk of humility, which is maybe not, is maybe okay. Like, um, you know, I see in some, some moralists like Pascal, it happens a little bit in Spinoza, uh, moral registers. Um, at times, they'll talk in extremely idealistic terms and then be extremely critical of self or critical of the moral character of human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I think there is, in the moral life, room for that, an important place for you know, not being willing to rationalize and bullshit yourself too much. Spawnville talks about our pathetic good consciences. <laughs> we feel like we're decent people, even as we we watch, you know, we stand by while lots of suffering and injustice happens, uh, right. and we ignore so much, you know. And I, I think there is a crucial role in the moral life of, you know, taking the very ideal standards, idealistic as they are, looking at our saying, "My goodness, or you know, how far do we fall short from those standards?" I think there's a role for that. There's also a role in the moral life, though, from to holding ourselves to much more let's just say, manageable standards. Um, to take the courtroom example earlier, let, let's say that you have ascended to the stand and, and testified and held yourself to standards of honesty and testified it honestly. It's not that relevant to say, well, Justin has told some lies. Uh, he's not a perfectly honest person who never lies. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> or, or right for that matter, of course, right? You know, so sometimes it makes sense to judge ourselves from, from ordinary standards. You know, hey, I did well here. I, I had... I was honest on the stand, or, you know, uh, right. you know I'm, you know, I, I'm a fairly patient person. But uh, so, so we can sometimes operate judging ourselves from ordinary or more manageable standards and sometimes from much more rigorous ones. And I think there's important roles that both of those uh, practices right. have. In life. So, and so, so I'm not, you know, when Sponville gets really hard on us, I grew up in, in Calvinist circles, and so I'm kind of grow up used, used to you know, serious, censorious, uh, moral language popping up from time to time. And how are you doing? You're falling so far short. But again, I have a little bit of a taste for that being a part of my life, even as I think it's sometimes descend from extremely idealistic standards and hold ourselves 
in some contexts, much weaker ones, you know. And so, right. So alongside that, I've alongside that, I've even written articles that have justified certain kinds of cheating, in in, in sports. Um, so I know I'm not just you know censorious all the time. <laughs> uh, I don't hold myself only to hyper idealistic standards. Right. So, so we can, we can come to terms with our limitations, our lack of resources, right. and understand that we're not moral paragons, that maybe to go with the Stoic theme, we can right. try to make a really good effort about things and be careful about what we do. But right. occasionally, we're going to err. Occasionally, we're going to make mistakes. And we could recognize that and work to improve, right? The change isn't right. going to happen overnight. Right. And if we wallow too much in, a, in our horrible character, we might, it might be still prophetic, right? Right. Uh, you might you might be you might be less able to advance in the moral life if if you just say oh what I just did is probably not as good as I thought oh what I just did is probably not as good as I just thought you know um, and so again I think yeah, it's complex to live a moral life and, right. and you know in my count you, you do need some standards that you've commit, commit, committed to and then humbly live by and now it also matters to me as you've kind of alluded a few times what those standards are. Uh, um, it matters quite a lot to me what those standards are. Um, just any old standards. I, I don't want anybody treating just any old standards as authoritative. But uh, I treat humility, by the way, as similar to courage. You know, courage is a, an important virtue, but you know, people some, can sometimes act courageous for the unjust end. Right. And so, courage needs to be shaped by practical wisdom. Um, I think humility has a similar kind of character. Is that? Uh, uh, um, to be humble is important, but it also it's very, very crucial, of course, that you, you be committed to and, and, and uh, standards that are themselves highly defensible. Um, right, not just any Morally standards. good standards, intellectually credible standards. Uh -huh. We're coming on the end of our discussion, so any final thoughts mm -hmm. on the topic or maybe some projects that you're working on now? Yeah, well, a few things. One thing, it might, if your listeners kind of want to go and, and look at what I've been talking about, Bonville has a chapter in humility in the book I mentioned earlier, a small treatise on the great virtues. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and Robert Roberts, we didn't talk about him as much as we might have today, which is fine. But uh, he has, uh, again, I think his uh, uh, chapter is called uh, Humility as a Moral Project. And so he tries to also give advice about how to advance in, in humility in the midst of a life. And he has, uh, his view, he tucks, he, he's writing sometimes for a Christian audience. And so you can, his advice sort of reflects that. Um, and then, you know, uh, if you want to find my couple of articles on humility, I'll post the most recent one in the next few days. Uh, they're on my academia.edu page uh, right. under Regan Lance writes on. So, mm -hmm. And I'll link that so, in the show um, notes as well, yes. All right, sounds good. And so I'm, I'm hoping to kind of now, I've, I've written two critical pieces uh, about Roberts and Sponville. It's really time for me now to, to generate my positive account, and I'm hoping in the next month or so to start sending you know, off to journals, uh, uh, my own positive account, kind of a longer journal-style article on, on this. But I'll, I'll be working on this in the next uh, next couple of months. All right, very good. And that's academia.edu, Regan Lance right. Reitzma. And you're also at kings.edu as well. And where can people reach you if they would like to email or contact you? Uh, so it's uh, my email address is my last, my full name, Regan Reitzma, so R-E-G-A-N. R-E-I-T-S-M-A, and then at kings.edu. So, all right. Very and I'd good. be happy to hear. Thanks a lot for a chance to talk about all this. Yep. All right. Thanks for joining me today. All right. Take care.
Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more content. Visit my website at justinvacula.com where you can find links to my social portals, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and see past content on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. Please share, comment, like, and subscribe. Consider donating if you support my work and would like to see more, for this takes time, money, and effort to produce content. Support me on my patreon.com page, on which I offer several rewards. Have a great day.